Welcome to the Growth Lab. I am Tej Singh, personal growth enthusiast, world traveler, sales professional on a spiritual journey to live my highest expression. This podcast is meant for individuals looking to evolve in all aspects of their lives. I interview leaders and coaches that have a passion to grow beyond the status quo and expand into their highest potential. Let's dive into it as we help you get 1% better with every episode. What's up, everyone? A quick check-in before we get started today for all of those that are tuning in. I appreciate you. You're awesome. Thank you for joining the Growth Lab. Now, I'm excited to announce your guest for episode 13, William Glass. William is the co-founder and CEO of Ostrich and host of the Silicon Alley podcast. His mission is improving financial well-being globally. As the founder and CEO of Ostrich, William's mobile app addresses financial literacy deficits by creating social community and accountability around money. Think saving and investing with friends. In addition, William hosts the Silicon Alley podcast, providing a platform for entrepreneurs from all different industries and backgrounds to really tell their stories. William owns rental properties and was a successful tech sales executive before starting his own company, Ostrich. He was also a Fulbright scholar where he taught English in Thailand. William is originally from Alabama and now resides in New York City. In this episode, we cover William's journey to starting his own company, Ostrich, and the Silicon Alley podcast, looking at the emotional and habitual side of money, and also unpacking abundance versus scarce mindset around money, and overall just exploring the relationship we all have with money. This was an exciting episode because we really got to investigate and uncover William's relationship with money and how other folks can really start to dissect and look at their relationship and how they can improve their overall relationship with money. So let's dive right in. William, thank you for being on the Growth Lab. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Tage. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, man. I think there's a a lot to unpack. Uh, and we were talking about this, uh, you know, prior to the episode, I think a good starting point for today uh, is really talking about your journey to starting your company ostrich. And also, as a part of that, as we get further into into the, the conversation, we can talk about your podcast as well, which I think it's interchangeable, right? It's connected. So let's, yeah, there's, let's, there's a linkage there. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's start there. And then we can we can uh, dive deeper into it as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those that don't know, Ostrich, it's the company that I'm building. It's a fintech company that's focused on financial well-being. And uh, the concept is to focus on the emotional side of money, which if you look at all of the apps and the way that we sort of approach money, at least in the US, it's very logical. It's here's another tool. Here's uh, these, types of, these types of resources that, that don't really focus on the habit building side of, of building a strong money foundation. And so that's really what we're doing. And the the process of starting ostrich was a long one <laughs> to say the <laughs> least and uh you know it, i've been interested in personal finance for a really long time and part of it has to do with some of the things that happened as a kid uh, my parents got divorced because of money it was a big strain on on the family and their relationship and in 2008 when the financial crisis happened that kind of blew up their marriage other instances where it was just such a a, a critical thing in terms of our family and family dynamics that um, it really impacted me. And so I've been really focused on, on finance, um, you know, ever since I was a kid and I, 
was trying to figure out a way to solve this mainly for myself. Like the tools that are out there, like I love Mint and some of these different dashboarding apps and Robinhood and all these different things that are great, but they don't solve the emotional side or the habit building side, right? It's one tool and a tool in your tool belt is great. But if you don't have a plan, you don't have that blueprint of when to use which tool or how to use them. It doesn't really, it doesn't really, uh, you know, get you to where you need to be. And so I went on this process of, of trying to figure out how to improve my own finances and what would I want and how can I do this with other people? Because I know that it's a pain point in our society. And, um, so that's kind of like the general idea for ostrich. I can happy to get into kind of like the story of actually starting it. Cause that's its own story, but the concept has kind of been deep, deeply rooted inside of me from, from kind of as a kid and, and growing up. Yeah. I love that. I love that concept too, about the emotional side of money, right? It's such an important part. Um, because you know, it is true that a lot of times we just have our uh, pre preconceived notions about money. And then we just follow those because that's what we know, but we don't really get into the depth of it, right? The, the habits of money and then the emotional side. And I want to unpack that for sure. But you, you, you know, there, you said there's a deeper story, right? Around uh, the background, you know, unpack that a little bit and then we'll get to that the other part. Yeah. So as a kid, I, and, and my parents did a good job of giving me some of the foundation that I, that I would need. And everyone had their own, you know, my mom had her own philosophy and my dad had his own philosophy. And that's part of the reason why they butted heads because they didn't, they didn't quite line up and they never really had that conversation before they um, got married. And, you know, throughout that, it was always, money was always a tough conversation. But um, as a kid, I was, uh, I acted as a kid. So like I would do commercials or things like that. And I um, did a Cracker Barrel commercial and I was probably like, I don't know, 11 or 12. <laughs> and I made $2,700 in a day, you know, and being able to like have that kind of leverage and there's residuals after that. So similar to uh, kind of like a commission structure, every time Cracker Barrel renewed their contract or decided to use that commercial again, I would get paid. I would get residual income. And so like as a kid, I didn't quite wrap my head around it, but my parents were like, you know, that's pretty like put it in context. That's pretty incredible. Like $2,700 and for a day's work, like, and all you did was, you know, I mean, (laughs) there's work that goes into acting, but you know, like as a kid, you know, you're sitting in front of a camera, tell you to go here, do that, do this, you know, pretend you're eating food and enjoy it. Like all that kind of stuff. It was like, yeah, I mean, I get to hang out and act and like someone's going to pay me money. And you know, I have no concept of, of how much money that was, especially back in, you know, mid 2000s. But I think that concept rooted me in not wanting to time my time to very different than that experience. And I think that that was the, the original route that, that said, Hey, there's something to this like time money equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was one aspect and so i started to have these concepts around not having my time directly tied to my money that there's a way to leverage that um that is outside of the you know minimum wage hour uh, you know paid by the hour type model and so i i took that and as i said in, in 2008 when financial crisis blew up my parents relationship blew up finances blew up and i you know had to to kind of work through that. And I got really into the whole personal finance space, reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think I read, I don't know how many books are in that series, but I read 90% of them easy. And 
just educating myself, educating myself, getting really into real estate, all these different things. And ultimately that led me into the career that I ended up in, which was, which was sales. And that's where, you know, Tage, we, we crossed paths the first time was at, was at Gartner. And the reason I went into sales was just that time leverage of money again. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, my base salary is 40 grand. My comp structure should get me to 60. But, you know, my first year, I doubled that. I hit 120 because of all the bonuses and everything else. And it was because I knew that I was worth more and I was going to work harder than other people to have that time leverage. So for me, I was really, really focused on that money component Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how can I, how can I leverage my time to, to kind of, um, you know, make the most out of the time that I'm putting in and work and effort that I'm putting into, to a job. And so that for me was, was really the route that started to, to kind of sink in when it came to my own relationship with money and seeing at Gartner, you see people that are having a lot of success that are making a lot of money. And I saw folks that were, you know, going out every weekend and spending a ton of money and buying a new truck. And I knew that they had $80,000 in student loans that they weren't paying down and instead were buying a brand new truck financed. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you also saw folks that were, um, that were part of the fire community. And if, if you don't know what the fire community is, it stands for financial independence, retire early. So it's a group of folks that, um, want to live relatively frugally and there's there's different philosophies in this but essentially sock away as much money as possible in investments and retire at a much earlier age in their 40s or 50s and not wait till they're 65 or 70 to to retire and i saw someone that did that at gartner that retired at the age of 32 or 35 like i you know in his mid 30s and you know seeing that dichotomy was really really interesting cuz on the surface, they're, the, both of these people are having success, but one of them just put a little bit more thought or effort into what it was that they wanted long-term and ended up in a position to quit and go pursue other passions. And there's other folks that are going to be on this hamster wheel for a really, really long time. So I'll kind of, I'll, I'll pause there because I, I, see, I see you smiling, Tage. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Good. If you have a last thought, I got a couple of mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so, so trying to figure out, and that's where that emotional side comes in. Right. And that's where the the kernel for ostrich came, came in. So while I was at Gartner, I wrote a business plan in 2017 and like around this concept, and it wasn't really sure what the product would be, but it was more of like a philosophy of, of tackling the things that are really, that really dictate our life, which have to do with that that emotion, why do we make this decision over that decision? What is it that we really want? And how do we put the sort of automation or habits in place so that we get to where we want to go? Because we all have have this inner drive or these this voice inside of our head that we will always try to put our immediate pleasure sort of over our longer term, right? That's just how we're that's just how we're wired as human beings, is that like we want the immediate now, we want that instant gratification. Yet if we take a step back and we think about what we really want, sometimes delaying that gratification will actually ultimately get you closer to what it is that you truly want. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of where the, the kernel and the idea came from. I love that. I love that. There, there's so many different things we can, we can start to tap into, but you know, I, I, the last point that you made and just, just overall this concept of starting ostrich, like it baffles me how this isn't common practice or common knowledge, right? Just the, the financial literacy that, that everyone should be having. We should be uh, learning this stuff when you, when you're like a kid, you know, when you go into elementary and middle school oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and we have like, it's not taught to us and we have to kind of figure this out on our own. And a lot of times, 
you have to kind of like trip and like, you know, f- you know, figure things out and like, you know, try different things and, uh, and then you figure it out. Right. So I love that concept of, of educating people and educating the emotional side and just the habitual uh, thinking about money. Right. And your relationship with money is a big piece too. So a couple of threads I wanted to explore. Um, I want to get deeper into the, the relationship with money and also, the emotional side that you talked about prior to that, I think a cool thing you mentioned that you read a lot of books in this space, right? And I'm sure some of the listeners, uh, you know, tuning in right now, um, you, know, you mentioned uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then, you know, some of the other books, which one stands out to you most, right? Like, what would be that one book that you would recommend someone coming off of this and saying, you know what, like, I want to be more educated on this subject? What would you recommend? Yeah, I think if it's more of a mental, if you're focusing more on like getting your money mindset right, yeah. For me, Think and Grow Rich, I revisit that probably once a year um, mm-hmm. in terms of, of reading it. And it's one of the older ones. I think it was written in like the 1930s. Yeah. Um, that, one. that one really sticks out. If, you, if you're looking for like examples of, of, of something that's really easily digestible and you're, you're unsure, um, Richest Man in Babylon, again, written around that same time period. And it's just a bunch of like parables essentially that like show all the mistakes that people make when it comes to finances. Um, mm-hmm. So I think those two uh, really stick out. There's a ton of great books about like how and get into like tactics and things like that. But to me, like you can figure that out, but you've got to get like that bigger picture why and get that squared away first. So that's, yeah. those are the two that I would, I would say read. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'll have to, I'll have to read uh, that last one you mentioned too, the richest man in Babylon. I haven't read that one. So that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a good, that's a good recommendation. It's great. Yeah. I think it was actually written. I think it was a marketing, like it was originally like marketing documents for like trying to, it was somewhere around financial literacy. I can't remember the exact story, but it was around to like a credit union or bank back then that wanted to like try to help teach people. And they, they contracted this, this author who wrote these, these parables and they're like set back in like uh i don't know they're set back in like the the middle east in i don't know 100 or 200 years before and they're like they're really interesting but they're great they're great really easily digestible stories yeah yeah i'll have to check it out and i recommend anyone listening that that feels compelled check it out as well uh because i know you know sometimes when you leave um you know a conversation you're listening in uh, and you take one or two things away but then, you know, you want to something to kind of sustain that, right? Like sustain that kind of mindset. And to your point, I think the starting point should be the relationship aspect. Like what's your relationship with money, right? Because a lot of times our deep rooted beliefs about money comes from childhood, as you described, right? Like it, it's, 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 it's rooted there and then it kind of flowers from there, both positive and negative, right? Like what you've seen uh, your parents do, right? Like you oftentimes replicate that. Like in my case, you know, my, my dad has always been an entrepreneur. He's been uh, he, he's been very risky in his endeavors, and he's lost a lot of money over time. Yeah. So I tend to find myself being super risk averse because I've seen him, you know, you know, fail many a times. Yeah. So I'm like, shit, like I gotta I gotta like be really <laughs> careful, you know. So like that's dictated my beliefs about money and how I operate, right? Like, and I see that in myself and sometimes I've got to be more risky, right? Like, I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to, to, to be a little more risky, but you, 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 you watch that relationship aspect. So let's speak to that a little bit, right? Like, because yeah. that, that notion isn't really talked about because to your point, when you talk about money and you talk about, you know, uh, financial literacy, it, 
where, where, where your mind goes is, okay, like, let me practically figure out what to do, right? Like yeah. step one, step two, step three, but there is a, a previous layer, right? So, you know, how does one unfold that? Like, what, what, what was the journey like for yourself? Like to identify like, Hey, this is how, this is how I operate. And these are the reasons why. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great place to start. And as you said, it, it, it's important to like look internally and figure out what has, what has shaped your relationship with money? What is it? What are the feelings that come up when you think about finances? Are you really tense and scared and like, Oh, oh risk averse? Or do you like think of it more as like gambling and like, yeah, like more money, like let's throw it at this and that and see what happens. And there's no, there's no wrong relationship with money. It's understanding what, what yours is. And then how do you set yourself up for success based on what it is that you truly want? So first is really thinking about money. What are the emotions, the feelings that come up? Do you feel like, man, it's way over my head. I'll never, I'll never get this. Are you someone that's like, man, I love this stuff. Like I can't consume enough. Um, There's extremes on both sides of that that are, that are negative, but just taking that, that, um, account of what your what your relationship is. What are those feelings? And then from there, it's taking that next step of what is it that I want? Like, what do I want in life? And this, I think, is something that we don't talk about enough. But the point of money isn't to get more money, but it's to enable you to do the things that you really want in life. Mm-hmm. And I see money as a tool. And it's a tool to allow you to go to Estonia on a trip that's going to change your life, right? It's going to be life-changing. It's to be able to go to a restaurant with someone that you love and enjoy time with them. It's to do the things that, that make you happy. And so I think that that is really, really crucial is to ha- figure out what the emotions are, but then take a step back from that and think about what's the bigger picture. What is it that you truly want? What's going to make you happy? And focus on those things. And then you can get into the how and all that stuff, because yeah. now you know what you're working towards. You yeah. know why it's important for you to, I don't know, not go live in this fancy apartment because you really don't care that much about it. You don't need mm-hmm. to live in the fancy apartment right now because I want to own a house in two years. And so I will sacrifice, you know, having a pool at my apartment or whatever, whatever the, the thing is and um, focus on the things that it is that, that are going to make me happy in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that part, right? Like the the money being used as a tool, right? And, and not the, the holy grail, right? Like it's not the, it's not when you have uh, X amount of money in your bank account, then you'll be happy because that's not the case. <laughs> and, no, and, yeah. and the number is going to, the target's going to keep going higher. Like that's just how we are as people. You hit one goal and you're like, all right, well, I guess I got to go to the next level. So like I make six figures now, like I guess I got to go make 250. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I make 250. <laughs> well, I got, I guess I got to go make a million a year or whatever it is. Like it's, you know, whatever, whatever that number is, we're always going to try to yeah. pay it higher. Yeah, it's always going to go up and you can, I mean, you find a number of stories, right? Like of people like running that cycle for 20, 30 years and then getting to the pinnacle of what they thought that number was and then realizing the same thing, you know, that you yeah. could realize So, like save yourself some money or not money, save yourself some time, right? Like, and, 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 and to your point, get, uh, find alignment to what is it truly that you want in life and then use money as a tool to get you there. Right? Like exactly. that, relationship, that relationship aspect is so important. So once you, so let's, let's, let's kind of follow that story, story forward. Right. So once you kind of identified this piece and you wanted, you were in sales at Gartner, you wanted to start this company, like how did it unfold from there? You just, you know, you just kind of took the plunge and said, Hey, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start this. And you know what, what ended up happening from there? <laughs> 
Yeah, I wish it was like that, e- that easy, but it, it was <laughs> never uh, is. <laughs> it was yeah, it was a much more tumultuous journey than that. So I wrote this business plan in 2017, and again, I didn't know what the 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 product was. All I knew was that I was unhappy with the current situation. As you mentioned earlier, Tage, the you know, there's no real education in the school system about finances. It's not like you learn really anything in, in high school or college. And there's, there's some push to change that, but is it truly going to be what changes and improves our, our finances as a society? I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. Is the government going to do it? No. Are financial institutions going to do it? Probably not. I mean, they, they make money from the fact that you don't know what you're doing for the most part, right? Like yeah. as sad as it is like payday lenders and you know, credit card companies, like they want you to carry a balance for a portion of the time. They don't want you to default, but they want you to, to end up in debt. And, um, and it's, it's not a knock against them because there are, if you use them correctly, they're definitely great services and things that we need in our financial institutions, but they're not the ones that are going to ultimately set us up for success. And so that was really what came out of that business plan. No idea what it really was going to look like, except like, Hey, here's my philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so every two months or so, I would revisit it. I would forget about it. I would talk to someone else and then it would come back. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I was working on this. Or like, we're talking about finances right now, but we don't talk about finances very often. So I would, I would come back to it, revisit it over the course of about two years. And I ended up moving from, uh, from Fort Myers, which is where I was, up to New York and worked for an artificial intelligence company that was in the market research space that was a former client. And when I got to New York, I reconnected with a friend from, from college who was really close and he was working in finance in uh, private equity and then moved into portfolio valuation. So not on the personal finance side, but in the financial world. And so him and I were talking about doing something. He wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and I had an idea. And so we just kind of started working through it. Like, okay, well, what would this look like? What would our product be? We started doing research and uh, this was in late 2018, and then we come to to uh, May of 2019, and I leave my job to do this full time because I realized for me I wasn't dedicating enough time and energy to it because I was so focused on being successful in my day job, which to me splitting the the time again we go back to like the time leverage aspect, mm-hmm. like. I, I just, I couldn't function that way and really put the emphasis that I needed to take ostrich to where it needed to be. And so I left in May and we started the company. We went, we've changed business plans and what the product looks like, looks like a number of times. We did focus group surveys, all that kind of stuff, built early versions, tested things and existing platforms and all this stuff. And um, yeah, like that's, that's sort of the, the progression, but it was, not linear at all. And it was like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Like I've got some money saved up because I know that I want to do it at some point. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was tough, but eventually I just it hit a breaking point where it was like, am I going to actually take the plunge and do this? Am I going to really put my effort in and, um, will I regret not doing it or will I regret doing it? And it, it clearly came down to, I'm, I'm going to regret if I don't take this, this jump and go for it. Um, and so that's eventually how that, that happened. It was not, 
yeah, it was not smooth by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, absolutely. It never is. Never is linear, right? Like that's how you, you project life to go. Just like a graph, linear graph, you know, yeah. and it's just more like a, a wavy <laughs> graph, you know, it's like a, a lot of ups and downs. And, and that's what you learn just by experience, right? Yes, time passes on. But I, I, I would assume money was also a big component of this. I can assume like leaving a, you know, a high paying job to then jumping into starting your company. They're like, what, what was that like, you know, to kind of like, and someone that's really money minded and, and, you know, cares about finances, like how, how did you like compensate that? Or how did you like, you know, what was it the yeah. long-term thinking? Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah, great question. It was definitely the long-term thinking. So I, I'm a big goal setter and I've set a goal and man, I think in, in high school, I had a list of like my, my bucket list, you know, and I'd add to it. And like a lot of them were more goals than bucket list thing, but I, I kind of kept up with that. And in college in my fraternity, I would always teach the, the new folks coming in, like do a goal setting workshop and like, you know, go through like, you know, what do you want to accomplish and all that stuff. And one of the things that I'd written down a long time ago was that I wanted to be earning a million dollars by the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, was thinking real estate because I'd read all the Rich Dad Poor Dad books. So that's kind of where you where you go if you read Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad series. You end up in real estate. Um, <laughs> and so I was thinking, you know, that might be what it is. But I got to the point where I was about to turn 27. I was 26, and I was like, I, I, I know that I can make good money at my job, but I'm not going to hit my goal if uh, by the age of 30, if I'm if I continue down this path, like I've got to do something drastically different. Again, going back to that leverage point where time leverage. Um, of money that I, that I have the opportunity to hit my goal. Will I hit it? Who knows? But I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to hit it if I stay in my current situation. So if I have to have a chance, I've got to one, find something that I really care about, which luckily I did. And two, it's now or never, like it's, it takes time to build up a business to that point. So I've got to have the, the runway to have a shot at hitting this. And so that was part of the decision-making that went into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then getting back to the actual financial stuff is that I'd been pretty frugal living in Florida, no, no state income tax, making six figures, lucky to do that and maxing out 401k every year, all that stuff. Like I had a, I had socked away a good amount of savings um, and, and uh, you know, was felt comfortable in terms of that, but it was still scary. Cause you're like, man, I'm, I'm making good, I'm making good money. Like I, you know, I know my account's going to go down as soon as I, as soon as I quit. So um, yeah, that was definitely a really tough thing. But when I thought about the long-term versus the short-term, it was a no-brainer at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, when you connect it to that long-term thinking and long-term planning, like it really helps alleviate the short-term risk and the short-term fear, right? And, and I find that sometimes that, that, that leap is really scary, but once you do it, and then you now I wanna hear from you, but like once I did that leap in my own way, you know, it was not scary at all. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, like I'm here now, like let's do this thing, you know? Uh, but, but it, it, the fear of leaving, it, it has a lot of fear around it, you know, because you, you, you think you have to continue to be in this system and you have to continue to be making income all the time. And, you know, starting a business is very risky, right? So like, um, it's, it's very interesting that you mentioned that piece, right? Like you had to take that. Did you find the same, like that, that the actual jumping, jumping out was, was the most difficult? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think for like three or four months, like I was just like, all right, I'm going to do it today. No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe, whatever. Like, and I actually did have to have something at work, which was, there was, so the, the company I was working at, there was, um, 
I was uh, in business development and I worked with an SDR who I was really close with and like literally one of the best people I've ever met in the entire world. His name is Wong K. Pewa and he's from South Africa and has just this incredible story of how he came to the US and all this stuff. But like working with him every single day was like the best thing ever. And it was really hard to give that up. But we had an internal change and structure that shifted where I was no longer working with him. And I was like, the one thing <laughs> that I, that I like love, like really, really love about this job. And like, I love the company and the product and everything else and the other people that were there. But the one thing that like was, was like number one, why I loved my job was the person that I got to work with every single day. I no longer have that relationship. I no longer have an excuse. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but like for the months leading up to it, like, I was like, Oh, I know I need to do this, but, uh, uh. And, um, yeah, it was a really, really tough process. If I, I, I journal pretty much every day. And if you go back and look at like my, what I was writing, it was one day it was like, I'm, this is it. I'm quitting tomorrow. You know, da, 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 I wrote my resignation already. And the next day it was like, man, I can't leave. Like yeah. <laughs> what I do for money or like, you know, like I, yeah. I'll miss a wonky. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, eventually it just, it, I hit that, I hit that point and it, almost, it had to be an external thing, which is really tough to say that like internally I needed that external change yeah. for me to really make that jump. So yeah. otherwise I might still be having that battle. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. I wanted to bring exposure to that because my, you know, my journey of leaving my work and, and I'm back in the corporate world, but I had a time where I took a year sabbatical where I traveled around the world. Um, and, and that was my way. That was my leap, right? Like that I had yeah. to take, but it took me a while to get there. Right? It took me, uh, it was so many months in the same way I, I journal as well. And like, I used to journal, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I just, I, it was, it was a, it was a compelling event for me as well, where, you know, I was in a, uh, a mastermind immersion in Guatemala where I was just around this energy of like, just, you know, following yeah. your, your intuition and following what really makes you happy. And I just bought the ticket and I was like, Oh shit, now I've got to figure it out. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes it does take that compelling event externally, but I wanted to bring exposure to that because, you know, if somebody's somebody's listening out there and they want to do that thing and that doesn't, you know, and I don't want to say that that looks like you quit your job and do something right. Like it could, it could be whatever it is for you individually. And it yeah. could be, it could be quitting your job or it could be taking that trip for two weeks that you really wanted to take or whatever it is you know do it you know because on the other end coming from two people that have taken the leap is always worth it right like the fear absolutely once you like surpass the fear and take that move and you look back and you're like what was that i really scared of <laughs> like there's nothing yeah. you were scared of uh but it's all perceived in the mind exactly yeah no it's that that's almost scarcity mindset that you have to overcome of like oh i don't want to lose anything i don't want to lose anything but yeah. if you think about what you could gain and the upside and for example like quitting a job like you can always get another job yeah it's always like, there you know, it's you can always get another one maybe it's not at the same company maybe it is maybe it's in, in an even better role like i've seen that happen too where there's been folks that have left taken a leap come back and end up in an even better position than if they would have stayed so yeah yeah that's what happened to me essentially like i i left my job where i was um you know based in san francisco and i you know, did the trip yeah. where I traveled around Europe for four months and Asia for, for another four and came back after a year and I got a remote position so I could keep traveling around the United States. And, and it was a better setup that I had before. And I was like, wow, like this is the universe or life telling me like, just follow, just follow what makes you happy and things will just work out, you know? Um, exactly. But, but it also goes to like, 
from a financial aspect, you mentioned the scarcity versus abundance mindset, right? Like that really goes to the conversation we've been having today, right? Like if you, you know, the relationship money and how you view money as well, money inherently is abundant. If you think about how much money there is in the world. And I think, you know, the scarcity mindset, it really gets people into a spiral of like not thinking they have enough. And then that's always the case yeah. versus, you know, if you speak to Jeff Bezos or you speak to someone maybe even Jeff Bezos is an extreme example, but even, even a, even a millionaire or somebody that really embodies an abundant mindset, um, you know, money is an afterthought, right? Like it's more about the impact that they're having. It's more about the energy exchange that they're having in the marketplace that allows them to have more money, right? So it's, it's a very like healthy relationship versus one uh, that's like uh, engulfed in scarcity of saying like, it, is this going to be enough? And that kind of shows up in your conversations of whatever you're doing, right? So it's, a, it's an interesting oh, one. Is that something that you've had to harness? Like, you know, the scarcity versus abundant mindset specifically around money? Definitely, definitely. And I think that one, and you, you've, if you follow entrepreneurship and you listen to a lot of entrepreneurs talk about it, one of the kind of tropes that are out there is that the the like deadliest thing is the uh the you know two week paycheck the regular paycheck is like the worst thing because you get conditioned it goes back to habits like you know first and 15th or whatever whatever your pay cycle is like you're you're waiting for it every two weeks on a thursday whatever day it is that you get paid and like you kind of get hooked yeah um, and so i think that like when you think about as you said like to me money represents like energy and and if you think about it, like you trade dollars for something that someone else put time and energy for, maybe it's a service, maybe it's a product, but it saves you time. Like that's what it, that's what it is. Like money is just like an accumulation of all of the effort that other people have put into building things and they've mm -hmm. converted that time and energy into money. And so, um, there is, yeah, there's, there's an abundance. Like we create more of it. Look at how much money the fed's printing right now to get us out of this, <laughs> this crisis. Like the amount of money yeah. that is it, that we are just making up is insane. Yeah. It's just, it, there's so much. And so I think when you think about it from, from that perspective of like, it, it's also time and energy. And when you think about trading more of your time and energy versus the, the dollar amount or whatever that is, I think it, it changes your abundance versus your um, scarcity mindset, because we do have a scarcity when it comes to time. We only have a set amount of time on this earth. And at some point it will expire and we will die. And you know, we never, we don't know when that is. Yeah. We could have, you know, it could be tomorrow. It could be later today. It could be a hundred years from now. Yeah. But the one thing that we can always get more of, we can always get more money at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so I think when you think about it from that perspective, then it, it kind of changes the way that you approach life purchases, just, just everything. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Putting a lot more importance on time versus money, right? Because time is scarce. Uh, and it does it's finite it does run out but money yeah. is infinite right like there's so much money out there um and also just the importance of money using money as a tool rather than seeing it as the holy grail I, like that's been the thread and i love that the conversation has been around that because it's more mindset around money and then everything else kind of falls into place like the how comes when yeah. you have the why really dialed in right like the how it will, it will show up <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, once you know why or what you want, then you can go figure out how to get there. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but 
the tools are there. There's plenty of knowledge on the internet, but if you don't know what you're searching for, then reading a random forum on finances isn't going to help you because if it's not aligned with what you want, then it doesn't matter that, you know, Joe's investing in Tesla and <laughs> Sally is investing in Bitcoin. Like does, does that fit what you're, what you're, what you want in the future? If so, great, follow them. But if not, then it doesn't matter that someone 10 X their money on Tesla the last year <laughs> yeah isn't there a thing about like once you reach a certain um threshold of money i don't know what that range is i don't know if you know will after that like essentially your your way of living doesn't necessarily change like you yeah know, it's, you've, yeah what, 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 it's it's somewhere around seventy five thousand us dollars to ninety five thousand. It it depends varying on the study but it levels off there is a i mean especially at the bottom of the spectrum i think that's something that we haven't touched on but is important like if you yeah. are struggling to get basic needs this is a different this is a different conversation, slightly different conversation, because you have to get to that point where you have some cushion, some capacity to make different decisions, right? If you're struggling to, to get by, different story. And so I think that is something important to note. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once you hit a certain happiness or hit a money threshold of that seventy-five dollars to $95,000 in income a year, it's it like it's almost flat lines in terms of your, your happiness relative yeah. to how much more you accumulate. Yeah. And that's, that's usually when you find people, whatever that looks for individual people, when they reach that threshold for them, right? Like that's when people start to have these realizations and go on an awakening journey or whatever, like their whole life collapses. Like you exactly. hear it so yeah. much, but it always happens on, on the, on that end, like whatever that threshold is, you know, sometimes people, people go further along and you know, it, it, it varies. Uh, but you brought, brought up an interesting point. And I just want to emphasize it, like, you know, perhaps people that don't make as much, you know, I would, I would, I would say, you know, mindset is even more important than that. I think in, when you're in that space, it's really difficult, <clears throat> you know, when you're oh, yeah. not, when you're not making a lot of money and you just have to put food on the table, it's, it's, you have to be scarce, you know, you have to be in a mindset of scarcity or, or so people think, right. But I think the way to changing that right? Is through having an abundant mindset and finding opportunities and possibilities. Would you agree with that? Like, cause it's super difficult when you're there. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I, I, I guess to clarify, definitely having an abundance mindset in all situations is, is the right situation in my opinion, when it comes to money, but in terms of like, you know, quit your job or do things like that. Sometimes it's not, it's not Possible. an option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where the abundance comes in, but putting yourself in a position to, make that leap and focus on the longer term things that are going to make you happy. Because if you have the short term covered, you should be focusing on the long term. But if you don't, then you do need to focus on that. And you need to make sure that you can put food on the table, that you can feed your children, that you can do all the things that you need to do to have a safe and secure livelihood. Yeah. Um, but you're right. The abundance mindset you can carry throughout, but in terms of where you focus and where you start, maybe yeah. it's not, way yeah. out here it's like <laughs> yeah. i can't think about yeah that until i until i figure out what i need to do tomorrow yeah so. it's kind of like the maslow's hierarchy of needs right like if your if your basic needs aren't met you're not going to be thinking about uh you know self enlightenment you're really thinking about that meal for the night right it's, exactly it's a, it's a different different piece and it's in, interesting you know because within that you know, then the short term thinking becomes around abundance. How can you like find a way to see the good and positive? And, and you know what, like, I also think just around money and, and mindset, oftentimes we think we allocate uh, happiness with 
the amount of money someone makes, right? So like inherently, yeah. even like where my mindset goes or inherently where people go, it's like, okay, so somebody makes less money. That means that they're not really happy with their situation. They're what they're looking to do is have more money, you know, but that's not always the case. I've met, you know, I, I, I was born in India and I grew up in, in Northern California, but I have went back uh, probably like not, not that many times, maybe like three or four times, but I've seen some of the happiest people in India, like in the slums where I, I remember this situation that I don't like, it doesn't leave me where there was like a group of kids. And I think that they only had like, had no shirts on and they had just underwear on and they were running hitting a tire with a stick down the road <laughs> and i have never seen someone so happy <laughs> like it was like four of them and they were so happy with that just just you know doing yeah. that action uh and that reminded me sometimes people with the lowest amount of money have the most happiness because they just see the beauty and everything right uh yeah and just, you don't take anything for granted yeah yeah so it's it's interesting you know because um, you know, oftentimes we think it is linear in that way. And often I've also met people that make uh, millions of dollars and be extremely unhappy and, uh, you know, just not feel fulfilled and not feel good with their life. And they're like, what am I really doing? You know, so it's like, yeah, on, on I mean, both. society tells you that you have to go make this X number amount. Like, you know, the American dream is, you know, work really hard, make a bunch of money, right? It's not mm -hmm. like, have a really have a bunch of relationships that you that make you happy every day and you're surrounded by people that you love like that's not the american dream story it's the rags to riches yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it's like i think the thread in this podcast has been there's nothing wrong with aspiring to make a lot of money but what's more important is what is what's the the purpose of having that money like what is it serving you because if you just have if it's a futile uh, goal of, of just having an X amount of money, then when you get there, you're not going to be fulfilled, right? Because you haven't really looked after yourself. And maybe the path to getting there was just like beating yourself up for like five, 10 years in a, in a, in, in a work that you really didn't want to do, right? So like, I think that yeah. thread is beautiful, no matter where you're at, where you're at in life is like going after what you really want, right? And, and, and the aspiration mm -hmm. of money I find is positive too, right? Because I've seen in my life, when you're aspiring for a goal, it's almost an external spell, uh, spell where you say, okay, if I get to X amount, that means I've reached my goal and then makes you do things that are uncomfortable. In your case, William, it's like you left your job because you saw that the potential of making that amount wasn't possible in your work. So it pushed you to take action. So I think it's, an, it's a positive, it can be used as a positive tool if you tie that with things that are fulfilling to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Tage, you, you brought something up earlier that I, I want to touch back on, which was the, um, the, the scarcity aspect. So when I left and was thinking about, oh, man, I'm going to lose a paycheck, I um, had a situation where I supported someone that I love and care about and wrote a very large check that was money that I was going to put into the business. And I've never been happier writing. It was the largest check I've ever written in my entire life. But it helped someone that I needed. And they didn't ask for it, but I had it. And it was going to solve a problem. And so I did that. I did that action in me letting go of like how much, because again, I I'm guilty of like checking men. I check it. Like I'm crazy. Just ask, <laughs> ask Carolyn, ask my girlfriend. Like I, I check it like 12 <laughs> times a day and it hasn't changed. Like, I don't know why, but like, that's my habit is like, I'm always on, I'm always on the dashboarding apps trying to figure out why something changed or looking at yeah. the number. <laughs> but the minute that I made that decision and I was like, you know what, this is going to solve a problem for someone that I love and care about. It's going to 
help our relationship. It's going to help solve a problem. And like, yes, I had this money in my mind earmarked for investing in the business. That action was more liberating than anything that I've ever done in my entire life. It was liberating because it broke my concept of my self-worth is associated with the number that I have in an account. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so, so powerful. And yes, do I still get into the same mindset of like, man, if I had more money, I feel like I would be happier, things like that. I have those same negative, not negative, but those same thoughts that don't really serve me. But that action more than anything else was like, I'm going to be okay. Like, this is why having money is, is a goal for me so that I can do things like this, mm. that I can help other people, someone I love, someone that I don't even know. That is the power of having abundance, that abundance mindset and building wealth in my opinion. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. I think that really sums it up, right? You know, the, that's such a um, beautiful way to, to aspire for more money, right? Because it's, it's really embodies that abundance mindset for yourself and also for others, right? Because it does give you that, that freedom and that flexibility to help others uh, and surprise others with that abundance, right? And it kind of comes around in that, in that way. So I love that. And I, I think that's, I, I love this thread that we're exploring. So William, let's talk about how the Silicon Alley podcast ties into this. Cause I know that's something that you're really up to as a priority of yours. Obviously ostrich is something that you're building as well. So how, how does, how does the podcast tie into all of this? Yeah. So one of the things is we don't have these conversations enough, in my opinion, talk about money. A lot of it has to do with what we, how we associate our self-worth with our, the, a number and a, an account somewhere that no one else sees anyway. Um, but I wanted to have these conversations and learn from other people. And so I've been interested in starting a podcast for a while and found a way to blend in entrepreneurship, which I'm really passionate about and I believe is a way that we can help improve society. Um, and I also think that student loans is one of the biggest hindrance to entrepreneurship for our generation, for millennials, for Gen Z. It's going to be the fact that there's people that are going to have to take day jobs and stay in day jobs because of the fact that they, they have student loans. So for me, having conversations around entrepreneurship and finances was, was really important and being able to talk to Tasia had you on the podcast as well. So definitely check that out. Um, but being able to talk to folks like you, people that are top performers that have achieved a modicum of success and um, hear their stories and learn through stories, have conversations about the dumbest things that who, the smartest people have made, have made, you know, smart people make dumb money mistakes too, um, and learn from those kind of conversations. And so that's how the podcast kind of ties in and you know, some of the content that is in the podcast we use on ostrich too. some of the money quotes, the, the biggest money mistakes, dumbest money mistakes, those types of things. Um, it, it all kind of, kind of blends together. And, you know, from a, I guess from a soft marketing perspective, like I'm talking about ostrich every now and then in the thread of the conversation when it comes up. Um, so they kind of blend together, but the purpose of the podcast was just to have these conversations to help other people go for entrepreneurship, do the things that they need to do to be successful and also talk about finances and break down this barrier that we have in our society of not talking about money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's a very fitting conversation we're having in, in that regard. And uh, you know, it's, it's, I love being on your podcast too, just talking about, you know, the, the, the mindset and some of the things that are intangibles around money. And, and you bring up an interesting point too, that, you know, money's not really talked about, or at least I don't remember it being that way, 
right? right. Like you, it was in very com- it's not very common practice to just be like, Hey, let's talk about money. You know, it's like, it's somehow a taboo subject, which it shouldn't be, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like you don't ask someone how much they make because it's taboo or like, what are your investing strategies? Like you can talk about it with your friends, but sometimes why is that taboo? Like, why is that a thing yeah. you can't talk about? there's so much social anxiety too. Like you're going to go out with a group of friends and you've got someone that makes, you know, six figures, someone that's a teacher and, you know, makes half that or whatever. And then someone that is working for a nonprofit and makes 20 grand and you're going to the same restaurant at the same brunch and you're going to split the check evenly. And like the people that are on the lower end of the spectrum are probably like, man, like I need this much. Like there's just so much social anxiety that we don't talk about that goes into decision makings, why people choose to do certain activities. And I often honestly think why people, lose touch with certain friend groups or things like that because if you end up in a different income bracket your activities and how you spend and all that stuff can can change um but i think at the end of the day like money affects everything yeah it's not everything by any stretch of the imagination if anything it's just a small piece of it but we we let it dictate so much of our lives in ways that i feel is unhealthy and so having conversations where we break down the taboo and we have more transparency around it and there's less of a stigma based on you know a, a paycheck amount i think that 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 would do so much for everyone else's overall well-being so for ostrich we talk about financial well-being but really when i talk about financial well-being i'm talking about well-being like yes got to qualify what we're doing but what that really leads to is overall well-being yeah, absolutely. And such a key component, right? Because a lot of times you see people, uh, their actions are dictated by finances and money, right? Like a lot of what they're doing in life is dictated by this piece. So I, I love that that's your kind of core piece. And obviously that then you know, spider webs into so many different things, but that's, that's your yeah. core way of like getting to people, you know, and, and a lot of people are interested in learning more about money and especially making more money, you know, but yeah. it's like, uh, so I, I love, I love that theme. Now really quickly, uh, William, if somebody wants to like engage with ostrich, right? Like obviously we'll link your, your podcast and you can listen in, but as far as ostrich, is that something that's completed? Is that an app that people can download? Like, what does it look like for someone that's interested in engaging with you? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a mobile app. We are kind of in testing phases. So depending on when this podcast, uh, you're listening to this, you can either find it in the app store. Or if not, go to getostrich.com and you can join the uh, wait list for when we do launch. But probably roughly by the time you're listening to this, we'll, have a, we'll, have a, we'll be live in the app store. So you can download it there. And, um, yeah, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can email me, uh, email us info at getostrich.com. And, uh, I pretty much see every email that comes in at this stage in the life cycle of our company. So, yeah. um, but yeah, that's, that's one way to engage with ostrich. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I love that because I, you know, just in this conversation, I'm interested in being on it, you know, like just seeing the different things you're up to, because I think it's important, you know, and I do like the apps that you talked about, right. Mint and all of that. And I think this, this aspect of it, you know, the emotional side and the habitual uh, kind of um, the the habit, breaking down the habits around money and thinking about money in a different way. So important. So I'm I'm so glad you're, you're doing this. Bill, I'm going to steal something from your podcast that you did, right? Do because it, yeah. I think it's appropriate. I feel called to do that where you had the rapid fire round, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I at least want to ask you the two questions that you ask. It's like, what's the, the, the best money decision you made? And then what was the worst? I think that's a good way to end our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So best investment I made is, is an investment in myself. And I will say the decision to, um, 
start ostrich and like what the mission that we're, that we're looking to accomplish. But um, I, I mean, I said it earlier, it was that decision to write that check that was larger than any check that I've ever written. That was, you know, more than half my savings that I had saved up that I was going to invest in the business to go help a family member. That was the best investment I've ever made. And it was investment in a relationship to solve a mm. problem for someone that I love and care about. Mm. Um, and I would without a doubt do that a hundred percent time, every time hundred percent would make that decision again. Um, so to me, best investment I've ever made is giving away money. <laughs> I love that. Um, in terms of dumbest money mistake, man, I've made a lot. <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, that's the key. I'll, I'll tell you this one because it's something that I should have avoided, but I, um, I own a rental property. So when I was in Florida, I bought a, a duplex, lived in one side and there was a storm, uh, hurricane Irma, if anybody remembers, I think that was 27, 2017, 2018. Well, hurricane Irma came, I had a tree fall down on a shed that I had in the backyard. And I ended up finding someone that was, you know, not a contractor, but someone that like lived in the area that cut down the tree and, you know, removed it. And the guy was like, oh, I can fix this for you. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, sure. Like you did a great job removing a tree. Didn't do any background checks, didn't do anything like that. And guy ran away with like $1,800 and like he would come back and do a little bit of work and then leave <laughs> and come back and do a little bit of work after I called him for a couple of weeks. But yeah, that one, and then I still had to pay to get the thing ended up destroyed and, and removed. So that ended up being like a $2,500 mistake just because I was, I was trying to avoid the pain of actually going to get a real contractor <laughs> and do the, do the diligence that I should have done. Yeah. So that one, uh, that one's painful. And just for another one, just to throw out there, cause I think there's a lot of scams online. I've been scammed online before in terms of, uh, in between college, I, uh, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to make money and I was delivering pizzas during the summer and then tried to find this, uh, you know, you can make money through surveys and focus groups online, but if they ask you to pay money first up front, it's a scam. Mm. I fell for that. I wasted like 600 bucks that I'd been making delivering pizzas because I thought I was going to be able to turn that into more watching ads and giving feedback. And instead I paid $600, watched a crap ton of ads for a few weeks and no money ever came in. So that was a, that was a dumb one as well. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Cause I know a lot of people do online surveys. So that's a good tip if you're, yeah. if you're out there and doing that. There are legitimate companies that do that, but if you have to pay money to, to join in, yeah, it's, it's a scam. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that. Well, um, and just to end the conversation, you know, you talked about how to engage with ostrich, right? Yep. Um, would you like to share with us uh, if the, if people want to find you, um, you know, on, on social media, how can they find you? How can they engage with you otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. Tage. So, uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, it's at Silicon Alley podcast, um, Silicon Alley, not Valley, no V, um, <laughs> Silicon Alley podcast on all social media. Um, ostrich is at the ostrich app, T H E ostrich app on all social media. And, uh, you can connect with me personally. If you want on Instagram, um, we'll just link to it cause it's hard to, to say exactly what it is. Um, or LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Just search William Glass Ostrich and I'll pop up. Awesome. Thank you, William. Thank you for being on the show today. This was this was an awesome conversation talking about money uh, and the mindset around money and what you're up to. And I think um, a lot of people will at least take one to two things away from this conversation, whatever that looks like. I definitely did. So I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Yeah, no, Tage, thanks you so much for having me. And I really appreciate what you're doing. I, I love the podcast. I'm a, I'm a listener and subscriber as well. So um, Keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing and helping us all get better. Thanks. Thanks, William. Take care.